have the most incredible wife that has, uh, I'm biased, the most incredible woman that's walked planet Earth, um, but again, I'm biased. Um, and I have, I don't know how many kids I have, and that may sound weird, um, but my family has seemed to have taken in kids that need homes, but they're not our kids, but sometimes they are kids. And But I have four biological kids that are our own that are biological. And, uh, and we also have hosted a foreign exchange student for the past three years who will be with us for another year who we consider like a son. And, um, and so right now I claim five children. And, um, and the Lord has been uh, just incredible to our family. Um, and, and I'm really excited today to share with you guys um, about some of the things that God's been teaching us over the years. And one of the biggest things is, um, is for us, when we started our journey, um, into this idea of missions um, and embracing maybe God has a plan for our life and a purpose for our life that is a global plan and a global purpose. Um, we didn't have a really good uh, idea of a biblical perspective on what that looks like, right? Um, and mostly because the only mission conferences we'd ever been to or the only mission seminars we'd ever been to heavily emphasized one portion of what God's doing around the world. And, um, and so now I think with what the Lord's done in our life and through our lives over the past seven, almost eight years that we've been with Global Frontier Missions, and what I hope to do today is to take a biblical look at the ways and the avenues in which God uses to uh, bring the nations to himself and, um, and to glorify himself in, in these um, avenues. So, um, so we started in Oaxaca, Mexico. And it was awesome, and we loved it, and it was great, and, um, and we were planning on being there for about six years. Um, that was our original commitment, and uh, we got there, and after the first year, our organization asked us to move to Atlanta, Mex- Atlanta Georgia, um, to a little city called Clarkston, and we had no idea what refugees were. We had no idea what ministry would look like. We had no idea. Um, all we knew is that... Um, we could serve there with a pure heart because now all of a sudden we were very proud of where we were and and uh, we didn't want to leave Mexico because that meant we had to tell all of our supporters and churches that we were coming off the field to come back to America to serve amongst unreached people groups and uh, and so we had this pride this Jonah response of like God anywhere but America like we'll go anywhere please don't send us back to America um, you know, and the Lord did such a work in our life to say, you know, are, are you willing and obedient? You know, especially when we think of missions and unreached people groups, typically the sacrifice is, will you sell everything you have and, and, you know, come and die amongst unreached people groups in a little tribe in the middle of nowhere, you know? And that's typically the response that we get when we think of missions. But for us, what we were learning very fast was a clean slate and an open hand is a clean slate and an open hand. And would you be available wherever that was even if it was here in your own backyard you know and um and so God taught us a lot through that experience which was which he used then to open our eyes when we did move to Atlanta and we saw uh, many people from unreached people groups come to know the Lord and um, and we were able to send um, church planning teams around the world and and mobilize others um, I mean just hundreds of people over the past you know seven years we've seen engage in impacting the world and you know, and seeing, uh, um, I mean, Muslim people are coming to the Lord like never before in the history of the world since Islam. You know, now is a season of harvest. You know, and and um, and just to be a part of that, we were we were really overwhelmed and and 
And so my hopes today is through my journey and through what I've learned and what I'm still learning on the way that God works and, and the way that he's worked in my life and what I hope um, if you are open today to asking the Lord, um, you know, uh, if, if he is a global God and he has a global purpose and he has a global plan for your life, um, you know, my prayer for you guys is too, um, what's next um, as, as we get into this for you? And so... Um, I'll start with saying there's four main mechanics or mechanisms that God uses to glorify himself in the world. In the Bible, every story and every picture of what God's doing can be summed up into these four mechanics. Okay. Um, the first one is what we know the most about and what we demonstrate the most through, through mission conferences. And it's voluntarily going. Okay? That's the first mechanic, voluntarily going. In the Old Testament, we know that Abraham went to Canaan. We see the minor prophets and going to the nations that lived near Israel. We also see examples of the Pharisees in the Old Testament sending out people over land and sea. Okay, so this is not something new. We didn't come up with a new missionary venture. This is an Old Testament thing that God did. God raised up people, and, and they had such a heart for him and a, and a passion for what he was doing. They said, I'm going to voluntarily go out of a response of worship to my God, and be a part of this, right? And in the New Testament, we see Jesus willingly go to Samaria, right? We see Peter and Cornelius. We see Paul and Barnabas and all of their missionary journeys willingly, completely available, saying, God, wherever and wherever you want, I will voluntarily go to where a place in which I can make and spread your fame greater, in the early church, we see St. Patrick. St. Patty's Day is all about St. Patrick, who is willingly and available to go to Ireland. All of the friars that went to China, India, Japan, and even the Americans, and the entire Moravian movement to come to America was all people voluntarily going. So this is something that's awesome because, you know... Uh, there's something worshipful about that, right? When you look at someone's life who just says, you know, I just love the Lord. I care about the Lord. I, I just, I see what he's doing around the world. I just, man, I've got to serve him. I want to serve him. Whether he wants me to go or not, I'm available to go. I'm willingly going to go, right? Um, but if, if we limit God's mission to just that one mechanism, then what we do is we've limited what God's doing actually around the, the world, Right? So this movement's also what we know the most about, and so we can understand the other movements. I want to talk a little bit about how we've came to what we consider modern-day missions. Does anyone know William Carey? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of William Carey. Good. William Carey is the father of modern-day missions, right? William Carey was this guy who was super passionate about the Lord, who was reading his Bible, and he said, Oh my goodness, look, this says that we should care about the heathen. This says that the Lord loves the heathen. Maybe we should do something about it. So he went to a group of elders and leaders and, and, and people at the time, and he says, I really believe that God wants us to do it. And they told us, you need to be quiet, and you need to sit down. Um, the Lord does not need you to go and reach the heathens. If he wants to reach the heathens, he will do it on his own. Now be quiet and have a seat. And William Carey said, okay. And so he wrote a book, and this book would then inspire what we call modern-day missions 
um, and was the start of the very first era of us sending people, if rallying, churches rallying together and sending out people again into what we consider modern-day missions. So he's considered the father of modern-day missions. What's important to know is there were a few people prior to that that were sending people um, to other locations, but he's considered the father because he wrote this book that would inspire the Haystack prayer meetings and, and would launch missions organizations in the future, would use the foundation of what he did. And so they were doing great, and William Carey goes out and he ventures out, and he's nailing the coastlines, right? And the people that are going out after him, they're getting to these countries, and once they get to these countries that are full of people that have never heard the gospel and, and have no access to Christianity, what they're doing is they're hitting the coastline, and they're reaching people, but they never venture in. Anyone know of David Livingston? Hudson Taylor? Right? Okay, these guys ushered in the second era of missions, which was all about inland. Right? They were hearing all of these stories, and, and David Livingston, if you've ever um, studied him, you'll know there, there's smoke from a thousand villages off in the distance. What about them? All of a sudden, the church said, wait a minute, we're hitting these countries like India and Africa, and, and no one's focused on reaching the interiors of these countries, so maybe we should think beyond just the coastlines, which ushered in this entire second movement of missionaries where... Um, all of these people like Hudson Taylor, which I love Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor's awesome because, uh, you know, in the day he had this little ponytail, you know. That's what he was known for. All the missionaries like, oh, that missionary with the little ponytail, you know. And I'm, I don't know why, but for me that just sounds awesome, you know. And he would dress completely like the Chinese, you know. And, and he's known for this quote, uh, he's known for this quote that says, um, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. And he went on to start a missions organization that's still into existence today that has served well over 6,000 uh, missionaries of his time and, and moving on to the, still in existence today. And one of the foundational principles of it was step out in faith. Because God's work done God's way would never let God supply. So to sign up for this missions agency, um, you know, I'm sure you guys know uh, Clarkston um, Preston, and uh, I love him and have served with him in Richmond, and phenomenal guy. Um, and you know the process for him, and I would highly encourage you, um, you know, to consider supporting his family. Um, but one of the requirements for Hudson Taylor's agency was no support. Not like, like, do you have any support? Yeah, I have some support. Well, you can't go. Like, trust God. He will be faithful. He will provide. Step out in faith and just go. And, and that's what he existed for. And he brought this element into missions that says, you know what? God is a global God with a global purpose and a global plan. And he will always provide these things. And he's not anti-support. And the agency isn't anti-support. Um, but at the time, it was an entirely new way of thinking of saying there's people that God loves and he cares about. And there will be obstacles in the way. But if we let the obstacles and these things hinder us from making it into these places, then we're selling our God short. And we're making him look little. And our God is huge and massive and fully in control of everything. So let's just step out in faith and move in this direction. And so he did crazy things like ponytail and dress like Chinese. And he changed the way the missions world saw um, the interiors of these countries that they were working with. Third era of missions and the third transition that we saw. First was coastlines. Second was inland. Third one was a guy named Cameron Townsend. Cameron Townsend and another guy. 
uh, named Donald McGravin. And these two guys at the same time in different locations, you know, this is what I love about missions work and, and when, you, when you start networking with other people that are doing what God's doing in other places, you start learning that it's not just you. As you pray and seek the Lord and be obedient to the things he's called you, uh, and you start running into other people and like, oh, what are you guys doing? And you're like, oh, that sounds like what I'm doing, you know? And they're like, oh, yeah, how'd you, how'd you come up with that? I was, I was praying, I was praying, seeking the Lord. God told me to do this. I was like, oh, it's great. I guess I'm on to something. Let's just keep going, you know? And so that's what Townsend and McGravin did. They're in two different locations, and Townsend, he goes now to the Americas, and he's working with this unreached people group that's down there, and he's ministering them, and he's sharing with them, and then he gets this question that cuts him to the core of his inner being, right? I mean, down to the core of his inner being. Anyone know uh, Townsend? Raise your hand if you know Townsend. Okay. <clears throat> they asked him the question, if your God is such a big God, why can't he speak my language? So originally, first era is all about coastlines. Second era is all about inlands. This third era of looking at the world and saying the gospel is, is a, an extremely important message and our God's serving in it. Townsend said maybe it's linguistic barriers that's actually a really important focus. So he would go on to actually found Wycliffe, which would then produce Seed Company and many other orality networks that are working now to translate the Bible into mother tongues. So Cameron Townsend, and then at the uh, Donald McGravin at the very same time, Donald McGravin comes on the scene and he says uh, social barriers. He brings this idea of the way people cluster together and, and how you know socially and how we create uh, barriers of, of separation and degrees of separation based on our uh, the way we live. That's a really important idea. So Townsend and, and McGravin together would then lay the foundation for us to even have a framework to say people groups is a really important thing. Right now, there's over 16,000 people groups in the world, right? They estimate approximately about 7,000 of them are completely unreached with the gospel. One in four people on planet Earth still do not have access to the gospel. But that is only here today. We can only say things like this because we're defining the world looking at the way they interact with one another and the way they socialize with one another because the gospel is a relational message, so therefore relational-based presentations are really important. Right, And so we know a lot about this first mechanic of missions, of the way God uses to spread his name and his fame. And there's a lot of books and there's a lot of things that are out there. Right, um, But I also want to address today, um, I also want to address today another um, mechanism. Involuntarily going. See, we can say, you know, God's doing something in my life right now, and man, he's just pushing me, and he's really, and he, he's just stirring me, and I really feel compelled, I feel called, I feel God, I feel the Holy Spirit is working so heavily on me that I need to, I need to just, I don't know, I, I really got to go to this place, right? But what happens when you lose your job? What happens if finances aren't so crazy? What happens if the world's falling apart around you? Does God still want to use you to spread his name and to spread his fame? because your context can be deemed as rough or hard or a tough situation? I don't know. Let's ask Joseph in the Old Testament who would go on, who was sold into slavery, and would go on to what? Not just save Israel, but God would use him and position him in a way in which then he would save beyond Israel, many other nations because of the grain that would be stored up in the testimony of God's goodness and faithfulness in his life. Right? 
So I want, you, I want to recognize right now that biblically, the gospel and God's fame and His name, God is in control. We read the scripture, God moves the nations of the earth. And so if you're in a position right now, maybe it's not a great financial position. Maybe you're about to lose your house. Maybe if you're about to move. Maybe your job is messed up. Maybe your world is completely falling apart around you. I want you to know today that God has still uses, uses that today. And he still has a purpose and a plan. And it may seem crazy and it may seem frustrating. You may not understand it. But God still wants to use you to spread his fame and to spread his name in a global plan for a global purpose for a global God. I mentioned Joseph sold into slavery. Naomi witnessed to Ruth because of a famine. Jonah was the reluctant missionary who did not want to go, absolutely refused. I mean, all the way to the end, kicking and screaming. Right, who would go on to lead one of the largest revivals ever in documented history, Jonah. Right, Half-hearted man who really didn't want to share with them, didn't want them to repent. Eventually they come to repent and he screams and cries about it the whole time. What could God do if you wanted to do it? If God can use a half-hearted Jonah, what can he do with a whole-hearted you? In the early church, we see Christians evangelize their Viking captors. Vikings! Christian soldiers are sent to Rome and England and Spain in the early church. Pilgrims and Puritans forced to America. They didn't want to leave their home. They're very happy there. But the situation, the context was really hard and really rough. And it was an extremely tough journey. And God uses that today to spread his name, to spread his fame across the face of the earth. During World War II, Christian soldiers were sent around the world. Do you know what happened immediately following World War II? General MacArthur said, Japan needs missionaries. That's what he said. He said, we need missionaries. They have completely, 100% been detrimented and fallen apart. And, and if they need anything, they need people to come and share them the good news and the hope. There's 150 missions organizations started immediately after World War II because all of these Christians were enlisted and sent around the world and they saw the needs and the hopelessness and the lostness and they saw the social issues and the locations that were completely with, without the gospel, with absence of the gospel. And they would, as soon as they come back and World War II is over, 150 new missions organizations started. I have a friend who's uh, uh, he's from Eritrea, or Eritrea, and uh, he's telling me about his friends that are in uh, Turkey right now. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, he's like, yeah, Turkey's a really hard place for them to live, and um, they can't work. They can't do anything because they don't have this, you know, like visa is a good way to put it, or a card that allows them to do it. And so they just do church planning all day. It's like, what? <laughs> they're like, yeah, they're there, and... You know, they don't want to be there, but, you know, their country is falling apart. And, um, and so they, they just reach out to Turks and Kurds, and, and they've planted quite a few churches. And I'm like, so let me get this straight. So you, there's an entire Eritrean community that's been completely displaced that's living in Turkey, and they cannot work, they cannot do anything, so all they do is church planting. And they're like, yeah, they're kind of excited about moving somewhere else. And I'm like, don't move, what are you talking about, man? Stay there, do church planting. You know, I mean... <laughs> Involuntary. They don't even want to be there, but they're still spreading the name and the fame of God, of Jesus. Across the face of the earth, this is happening regularly. Um, <clears throat> okay, so involuntarily going is one of the mechanics that God uses. 
So, uh, and it's something we need to um, look at really intently in our life and in our struggles. Um, because I can stand up here today and say, man, I remember when the Lord touched my life and he did these things in my life. And, um, and this is why I voluntarily chose to go and serve with GFM. But it doesn't belittle or, or, or shrink down the fact that God's still working in other people's lives. And he's choosing to do that in this fashion, in this, in this facet of, of his um, spreading his name and his fame. Okay, so involuntary and voluntary going. Which leaves us with the next one, voluntary coming. In the Old Testament, Naaman the, Syria, uh, Naaman the Syrian came to Elisha. Queen Sheba came to Solomon's court. Ruth chose to go to Judah from Moab, right? So people voluntarily came and sought out, especially in Solomon's story, Queen Sheba comes to him to seek his counsel, right? Because, um, you know, because Solomon was, uh, man, he was a smart dude, right? Smart guy, really smart guy. Why do you lead your country this way? Why do you do these things this way? Why do you, why, why do you position yourself? What is your leadership style? And Solomon's sitting there saying, well, wisdom comes from one place and one place only. It comes from the fear of the Lord. You know how to lead your people? You have to know the Lord, right? Queen Sheba voluntarily coming and seeking the counsel of Solomon. In the New Testament, Greeks sought out Jesus, Cornelius sends for Peter, and a man of Macedonia calls for Paul. In modern day, this looks like international students. In the modern day, this looks like immigrants and business owners and families that are coming to your backyard to make a home and a life for themselves. And God so desires for you to really think that you can make a global difference in the world by being right here where you are and serving in that capacity. The next one, um, did you guys know 90% of all international students are never once invited into an American's home? You guys ever heard that statistic? 90% of all international students that study in the United States are never once invited into an American's home. And 80% of all internationals that live in the U.S. for their entire existence in the U.S. Um, are never once invited into a home. I'm going to share a story with you in a few minutes um, with more about that. But my question is, if the church recognized this as a way God wants to spread his name and his fame, would, be, would we be ashamed of that? Leads us to involuntary coming in our next one. In the Old Testament, Gentiles settle in Israel by Cyrus the Great. In the New Testament, Roman military occupy and infiltrate Galilee. In the early church, slaves brought from Africa to America. Um, I was meeting with a church, it's a black American church in Richmond, and they tell me about their high influence in Africa right now. Um, and they say, you know why we go here and you know why we focus on these people? Um, because they think we're the strongest people that have walked the planet. And I was like, what? Un you know, unpack that for me a little bit. They said, when we show up working with this people group in Africa, they look at us with such respect and such, uh, they, there's, we have such honor there, and they listen to everything we say because they say, you guys were the ones that were sold into slavery and you were persecuted and had been through so much stuff and generation after generation of slavery and all of these things. You must be the strongest Africans that have ever walked this planet and so it comes with this title and this respect amongst other African people groups and they go there and they so they regularly focus and share the gospel through that context 
because they're so open to it. Even though there's other Christian people groups that live around these people groups, for some reason, their story and their plight has given them a position to share the gospel um, through this um, people group. And it was an involuntary coming to America that, that did that. Um, modern day refugees and other displaced people. Do you know every four seconds someone's displaced right now? Every four seconds. More people will be displaced today. Today. More people will be displaced today than will we settle all next year across the world. Not just the U.S. More people today will be displaced than we will resettle for the next year. Just today. Did you know that Syrians are coming to faith at an extremely high number right now? In the U.S. and overseas? Did you know that Yazidi people and Kurds are coming to faith in numbers we've never seen before in the history of the world? And of knowing them because of displaced people? <clears throat> it's important to, to understand that these four mechanics of missions will be done with or without the cooperation of the church as well. When you look at the history of what God's been doing and how he's been making his name and increasing his fame, it's not dependent on the cooperation of the church. If the church is obedient and we walk in obedience to the thing that God's called us to, because he's doing this. God exists for himself and to make a name for himself, and he deserves it. He deserves the fame of every single, in the worship from every single person that walked, that's walked on planet Earth. He deserves that, and he's going to get a diverse worship service where people from all nations and all tribes and all languages scream out, holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy are you, for you were the one that was slain. It's going to happen. The question is, are we going to cooperate in what God's doing and willingly doing it out of worship? I hear people say a lot, you just need to be obedient. It's obedience. People would just be obedient. I don't want to be obedient. I don't want God just to say, do this. I want to say, God, I willingly will cooperate. If you send people to my backyard, I will make relationship with them. And I will see the gospel spread through that. If you want me to go, I'll go. If you want me to stay, I'll stay. It doesn't matter. But I want to serve you with the rest of my life, knowing that this is your purpose and your plan. And you're going to do it one way or the other. And I just want to be a part of it. I'm going to share a few stories. I totally don't know what time I'm supposed to end. I missed that. Will you just give me a number? But I wanted. To, <laughs> I was like, I need to remember. Um, they gave me a time limit, and I was like, so I'll check the clock when I get up there. But I totally missed it. So I'm just going to read some stories um, uh, because these stories are to encourage you, and they're real. These are in the last few months. Okay, I didn't. I, these aren't backdated. This isn't greatest hits because that's a lot of times we'll talk about the things that God did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and we, we create this greatest hits of what God does. Uh, these are current stories from our staff right now within the last six weeks, eight weeks. After meeting on, we changed the names of all of them too. Um, after meeting on at VCU function, she was super open and receptive to getting together and hanging out, even in the midst of her busy study schedule. It took us a good three weeks before we could finally nail down a time, but we finally found a time where my sister and I could meet with our new Pakistani friend. It was only for a few hours on Sunday afternoon, but as we sat down over ice cream and at a food court of a local mall, I was really excited to see how open she was about Islam and about what she believes as a Muslim. 
She seems to be fairly devout, but, the only op- but this only opens more doors and provides more opportunities through which we can talk about Jesus. We had a really great time and waffled between lighthearted discussion and talking about our families to deep conversation about spiritual things or social issues or cultural differences. It was really eye-opening. I'm so grateful for a few hours we spent together. We're looking to get back together again with Anna, and I'm excited to continue to see about pouring into this relationship. But the reality of what we're doing really hit me when Anna texted me just an hour after we left the mall. Here's what she said. Thank you for meeting today, ladies. It was beyond wonderful getting to know you both. I think this was the first time in four years that I actually got the chance to sit down and have a heartwarming conversation with someone. So thank you both very much, and I hope we meet again real soon. Anna has only been in the U.S. for four years, so based on that text, I'm brokenhearted by what she said about our hospitality to the international population in our city. To think that someone who comes from a very hostile to Christianity country has been within our city for four years, and the entirety of that time, she hasn't been befriended by anyone. I hope this sobers us as a church, but I hope it encourages us as well. My sister and I didn't do anything crazy or something that requires years of training. We stepped out of our comfort zone with a growing love for the people that Jesus loves and have spent a few hours with Anna. We've seen her a few, we've sent her a few texts. We've told her that we're thinking of her and praying for her. We've invited her to events with us. We've told her we're appreciative that she's so serious about her faith and her family. When we're done, what we've done doesn't require seminary training or anything. It just requires being open and available to Jesus And that encourages me so much and gives me so much more hope for all that is possible when we submit and surrender Jesus and follow him and love the people that he loves. I met an Iraqi grad, this is another story, I met an Iraqi graduate student at VCU. We were there to meet and match with foreign students with community conversation partners. I'm one of them. I commented on his name, R, um, and he told me that it meant paradise. It was also a root word for oasis or water with palm trees and the source of life that's in the desert. I'm talking to him alone, and I found that he came to the U.S. three years ago. His hometown is Samara, which was invaded by ISIS. His father was forced to fight with ISIS because of his military background. His sister was close to a bomb. When it exploded, she lost both of her legs. His father's found a way to finally escape ISIS with his family and make it to Kurdistan. Samara has been completely devastated to the ground and he can no longer return to his home or meet with his family again in Kurdistan. He's now studying to get his Ph.D. I pray he gets into my English conversation group, or at least I can meet with him again one-on-one to eventually introduce him to the true source of life and a way to paradise. A student from India studying in the U.S. came to know the Lord in 1980. After completing his Ph.D., God called him to return to India, where he married his pastor's daughter, For over 29 years, they've been planning churches and reaching out to mostly Hindu background folks in the north. In response to learning about us, he writes, Like the slogan, until all have heard, that convicted me to return to India in 1984. There was a statistic that folks in the U.S. got on average four times to hear the gospel in their lives. And many in my nation had never heard the name of Jesus. How could I stay back in the U.S. for my own selfish interests since coming back, I've asked many, have you ever heard of Jesus? And my response is usually, what is that or where is that? <clears throat> oh, that all would get an opportunity to hear the good news at least once in their lives. This past week, we were invited to host a family of a newly arriving Syrians. 
They welcomed us warmly and with hospitality, and we soon learned that the family was from Damascus. They were thrilled when we told them that we knew of Damascus, and they quickly asked us, how have you heard of our city? Let me tell you a story. We started sharing the story of Saul's journey to Damascus, and the wife paused and invited her husband into the room to hear too. She translated for a husband who doesn't speak any English, and then they proceeded to read the story in Arabic online. They were soaking it up. We shared with them about how we were separated from God and that Jesus died to help us bridge that gap. They noted some difference between Islam and following Jesus. Overall, it was a hopeful start to our friendship. Azim, who is a friend from Syria, is starting to see Jesus. The relationship started with him noting differences between Islam and Christianity. He would complain to us about tithing to the mosque and how difficult Ramadan was. He was obviously a person of peace and was open, openly hearing the gospel with consideration, not defense. Recently, he started coming to our prayer meetings as an observer. Then observation turned into him pointing out similarities and differences between Islam and Jesus. Now he shares scriptures that has been impacting him, and he has been praying in Jesus' name. Jesus visited him in a dream and told him to have peace because he, he was going to be with him. During that time of prayer, while he was simply listening to God, God spoke to him and told him two things, to keep following the way that this group praying was going. And he also told him to ask if anyone was thirsty. This led into a discussion about Jesus being living water. He said he has peace now for the first time in his life. He said Islam does not speak to him, yet now he hears God. Pray that he continues to see Jesus for who he is. Some of you may know some friends of ours named Sudkar. He came to the Lord four years ago. He's a Hindu background um, while working on a postdoctorate research at Georgia Tech at Emory. We've gotten to pour into him and stoke a fire for the Lord. Um, he's come to our trainings, and he's remained faithful to sharing the gospel and making disciples. Last week, he saw some Tibetan monks there at Emory, and he was so burdened for them. He started speaking with them and invited them to their house to talk about spiritual things. One of them, Tempa, came to a worship gathering we did at Emmanuel's house, who's a, um, a South Asian church planner we work with. Um, and he was moved by the passionate worship, joy, and the truth of the scriptures. One guy, Terrence, explained a lot to him about the gospel. Tempa told Sukar later that Christianity seemed to have the answers that philosophy doesn't and that he needs to read the Bible for the first time. Perhaps some of these monks will come to Christ and go back to, to Tibet with the gospel. I sit here in my, Clark, in my apartment, enjoying the sweet sound of a believer reading the Bible for the first time. I sit here and marvel how God has brought them to us. America is where God met them. It is also where God provided the cataract surgery that Baba, which is the uh, Nepali word for dad, where Baba um, could afford the surgery that he couldn't get in Nepal. Up to this point, he had not been able to read the Bible for himself, which was incredibly frustrating for all of us since, since completing the surgery on Tuesday. He has been reading the Bible almost nonstop with a smile on his face. Jesus is also steadily saving the rest of his family. Molly, Baba's second-born son, and his family just confessed Jesus as Lord. Kanchi and Lolly, the youngest daughter, is not let school slow her down, but is meeting to read the Bible and preach the gospel with her friends almost every day. She is now taking on the responsibility of discipling her brother, Molly's family, in their new faith. One thing you should know is Baba is actually now working with Wycliffe and other uh, Bible translators, and they're translating the Bible into Mungar, which is an unreached people group dialect, a mother tongue that's never had the, the gospel in their scriptures. They're working 
with our staff and with a believer who came to know the Lord in a completely unreached people group, and they're translating. He's literally helping them identify the words in the translations in America that the gospel may go back and the stories would go back, and they would know that we serve a big God because God does speak their language. So if you sold yourself short and you think the only way you can make a global difference in the world, that's not a biblical perspective of what missions is about and how God chooses to spread his name. But I will ask that you do pray and you consider because God sends people overseas all the time. All the time. And I believe that God will continue to send out people from this church. If you focus on the Lord and you're obedient to the things he calls you to and you prayerfully consider, God will raise up and send out the Prestons of the world through your church. But if you also, with an open heart, Ask and pray, God, if you've planted me here, how can I make a global difference in the world? There's more than enough opportunities for you to do so. And you will share stories like this regularly. I'm going to pray for you guys. God, I thank you so much for everything you're doing in the world. I thank you so much that you're a global God with a global purpose and a global plan. And you love us so much and you pour out your blessings on us so much, God. And we're so happy to be just a part of your family, God. We love you. You are the best dad and the best friend anyone could have, God. And I thank you that you're in control of this and it doesn't come with a burden. It doesn't come with a weight. It comes with joy. We get to read these stories and say, it is nothing but joy to see you make your name great amongst the world. And we carry nothing but relationship with you. God said, trust us and teach us how to abide in you. God, thank you that we remain in you and our joy remains complete and you produce fruit and we are just the branch, God. We trust you completely and we love you completely. And we ask that, um, that you give us the strength and the courage um, to be obedient to the things you call us to, God, but you also allow us to worship you freely in the decisions that we make um, to glorify yourself, and, um, and people will notice that. So we, we love you, Lord. Pray all this in your name. Amen.